Last week we discussed this magnificent concept. It's not a concept. This magnificent reality of the preeminence of Christ. A reality that is so magnificent that if we were to stop and really consider the magnitude of the statements about the preeminence of Christ, it would surely change the passion and the progress of the church because we would be captivated with the enormous amount or the enormous view of Christ in a way that we maybe have not seen for a long time. For myself, this past year, and and really since 2016, it seems as though the Lord has just been letting me see more of His Word, more of Scripture. And, And though I've been in school, what's happened is, I'm beginning to see the the magnificence of Christ throughout all of the text more than I've ever seen it before. And I think that just comes with what we used to say. Well, I heard it a lot when the brief period of time I was in the Marines. Time and grade, time and grade. That's how you get ranked, time and grade. But you apply yourself to reading your Bible every day. You, you, You discipline yourself to... To take that time and, and make it happen. And you, you, even if you don't want to read, you read anyway and you show up, right? And, and you show up for the Lord there in that quiet time, in that quiet hour. And you're just faithful. And then suddenly it seems as though out of nowhere just this, this view of God becomes brighter than the sun in a, in a, in a summer day just at high noon. And it just begins to, to leap off the page. And so these great themes of Jesus are just so vibrant and so real. And about the only word that can capture them are the word preeminent. He is preeminent. So today I want to talk about not just the preeminence of Christ as we did last week. We'll, be, we'll revisit a little bit of that just to draw into this. But the preeminence of Christ specifically in the incarnation. Jesus Coming down to earth, okay? Because again, as we learned in Sunday school, he just didn't appear in Bethlehem for the first time ever in his existence, okay? He's always been there. He's the way all of this is held together. And so the preeminence of Christ then in the incarnation is the highest, most evidentiary form of special revelation that's ever been given by God. Hebrews chapter 1 bears that out. Who in these last days has spoken by His Son. And I like that. Has spoken. That's the answer. That is the most highest form. Jesus of special revelation we've ever had. So in honor of God and His Word then. And in view of the preeminence of Christ in the Incarnation, let's turn to Luke chapter 2. And I want us to read in Luke chapter 2, just verses 1 through uh, 20. Okay? Let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. 
Oh, you were waiting. Okay, sorry about that. Beginning in verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all who went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to, to be delivered. And she brought fur, forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And now they were there in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned and glorifying and praising God for all the things that that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Let's pray. Lord, what can we say here? Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. Lord, thank you that those shepherds didn't keep it to themselves. And thank you, Lord, that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, have called your people to yourself and have put in their heart that compulsion to share this good news with everybody they meet. Some under pain of death and some just as faithful. But God, thank you that what we see here in these passages are the majesty and glory and sovereignty of the almighty God. And we see your preeminence. Lord, you literally split time in half. And so that, Lord, we thank you. And we pray that we would not allow the world to define terms for our allegiance but that we would bow before you and say, Christmas, thank you, Jesus, for your indescribable gift. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. In Luke 2, 11, I put up here on the screen, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It reminded me last week when I, put, when I was going through the first message in Matthew chapter 1, something I'd never seen before. 
And I talked about the book of the the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And why is that important? Because we see Jesus as first fulfillment of the Davidic promise, fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise. Matthew put that in there just like that, just so we could see it. And then we have Luke 2.11. There is born to you this day in the city of David, the Savior, who is Christ Lord. Then we, have, then we have Mary over here in Luke giving her song. And in verse 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And in so many other places, we see Zacharias even mentioning this, this great, magnificent event of God's Son in this world, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, the King of glory. And I like also in Luke how it said, peace on earth and to the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward, toward men. And then it says the shepherds made this thing widely known. And all those who heard it marveled. And I like how that ties into me a little bit. With Jeremiah 31 and the new covenant. It's now no longer limited. This gift that's been given now calls in Jew and Gentile. See why it's good news to all men? It just gets enormous when you begin to talk about who Jesus is, and, and when you put the, the when you take the Old Testament and, and you see it revealed in the New Testament, and on and on we go. And so then when you look at a verse like Colossians 1:18, and it says that he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. I just have to sit back and say, Amen. It's so big I can hardly even comprehend a speck of it. And it wants to put me on the floor. So when I pray. At night or in the morning, Lord, about this or Lord, about that. I am calling out to the one who who was there before the foundation of the earth and the world, but then manifested in in that little feed trough. He didn't miss a thing. And he took on humanity. And he became my perfect high priest and yours, if you know him. And not only that, not only that, if that's not enough, our perfect prophet, too. And, and if that's not enough, okay, our perfect and most magnificent king. And it all goes back to this word, preeminent. There's no... Space between it. He, there's a continuity of beauty and sovereignty in it all. Again, what does preeminent mean? It means to be first in rank above all others. I've, I've recently been talking to a brother and several others. And, and we all know as preachers and teachers, and, and, and we all have to admit as Christians... We're undoubtedly going to err in some of the things we may say when we teach the Bible or whatever because we're people and we make mistakes sometimes. And we don't mean to. We don't do it maliciously. We don't set out to, but maybe we have some things wrong. And so clearly it is just inevitable that we're going to err in some of the things we say 
or we're going to err in some of our doctrine at some point, and somebody will graciously correct us. And I've decided <laughs> I'm going to err. I'm going to err on the side of God's sovereignty, and I'm going to err on making Jesus too big. Because I figure, okay, if I make Jesus too big and I make God too, too sovereign, all you can criticize me for is making them too much. That'll be okay. <laughs> All right, I'll take it. Because if I go the other way, then suddenly, he's not first rank. And God can't quite do it. I couldn't stomach it. So, that's how I read my Bible. He just becomes large and bigger like a stone cut out of a mountain that grew into a mighty mountain. Remember that part? Yeah, that's how it goes. And so in Genesis, we see Jesus in his preeminence. If you remember last week to the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And they all knew that going forward, wondering how that's going to come down. And then what do we read in Luke 2? How all that worked out. How, how he came into this world. And then, of course, when we get to Easter, right? In case you don't come back until then. Uh, <laughs> you say, was that a dig? But you should come back in between and figure out all the in-between in parts. But when we get to Easter, we see the whole story more. And we see the majesty and preeminence of, of Christ. Who fills, the Bible says, all in all. I like what Justin Martyr had to say. For Eve, now he, 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 he speaks in old ways, okay? For Eve, who was a virgin and undefiled, having conceived the word of the serpent, that means having taken it in and believed the lie, right? Brought forth disobedience and death. But the Virgin Mary received faith and joy when the angel Gabriel announced the good tidings to her that the Spirit of the Lord would come upon her and the power of the highest would overshadow her. Wherefore also the holy thing begotten of her is the Son of God. And she replied, Be it unto me according to your word. And by her has he been born to whom we have proved so many scriptures refer and by whom God destroys both the serpent and those angels and men who are like him, but works deliverance from death to those who repent of their wickedness and believe upon him. And I say, good job, Justin. You nailed it. That's the beauty of the incarnation. You see, Jesus being the second Adam, fixed Put right, healed, what the first Adam lost. And all those who believe on him will not be put to shame. There's more. The preeminence of Christ in Genesis again, after all. We have a whole gospel, right? All 66 books. Genesis 49.10 reads, The scepter shall not depart from Judah... Nor shall a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, which means gift from God, comes. 
And to him shall be the obedience of the people. All the way back in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10. Jacob here foresees and foretells, number one, that the scepter should come into the tribe of Judah. It says so there in the book in Luke 1, Matthew 1, and man, which was fulfilled in David and on whose family the crown was entailed. Number two, that Shiloh should be of his tribe, his seed, that promised seed, singular, in whom the earth should be blessed, that the peaceable and prosperous one, or the Savior, so others translate it, he shall come of Judah. Thus dying Jacob, at a great distance, saw Christ's day. And it was his comfort and support on his deathbed. Number three, that after the coming of the scepter, into the tribe of Judah, it should continue in that tribe at least a government of their own till the coming of the Messiah in which as the king of the church and the great high priest, it was fit that both the priesthood and the royalty should determine preeminence in the incarnation. That's Matthew Henry. And as always, he says a mouthful. Isaiah 7.14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we all know what that means, right? Translated, God with us. An argument for the messianic interpretation may be derived from the public expectation which was excited by some such prophecy as this. There is a striking similarity between it and one which is uttered by Micah who was contemporary with Isaiah, which was penned first. It would not be easy to show, but they have internal evidence that they both had their origin in an expectation that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. That's coming from Albert Barnes. Now, Isaiah and Micah, Jacob, all the way back there, pointing to one thing, the fulfillment of all things, Christ, the preeminent one. It's magnificent. It's it's larger than anything that we can comprehend, I think, in a lifetime of study. And if you're a Christian, you've been born again of the Spirit of God, and His Holy Spirit dwells in you. All of this is here. And so when you say, Oh Lord, You are now at your origin. You are at the one who has held you from before the foundations of the world. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And and then I I forget it. Okay. And claim the victory. I know that's the rest of it. All right. JT, you know that one? Just okay. <laughs> He's like, I hate it when you do that. So <laughs> Victory in Jesus. That's like the standard Baptist hymn right there, right? Micah 5 2, then, as was mentioned by Brother Barnes. But you, Bethlehem. What? Yeah, we just read that, didn't we? Ephrathah. 
Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. Whose goings forth, and I love this part, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. There goes the idea that Jesus was somehow created there in Bethlehem. There goes the idea that somehow Jesus was created later as a second thought or perhaps just a later plan of God. No. He is the same substance. Matthew chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. I just put it here. Because honestly right now I'm just having some fun. And when he had gathered All the chief priests, this is Herod, and scribes of the people together. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said, in Bethlehem of Judea. (laughs) For thus it is written. Where? In Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Therefore, he shall give them up, goes on to say in Micah, until the time that she who is in labor has given birth, then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. Do you want to know who the primary people were? Actually, it's not primary. Do you want to know who the first people were? Who was part of of the early church? Who were they? What were they made of? Jews. They came to their Messiah. That's why the Bible talks about remnant language. I love Simeon and Anna, I believe. They were older. Getting up in years, I think. I think it was Simeon who said, Now I can die because I have seen the consolation of Israel. Meaning, I am comforted at the my Messiah. I have seen the Lord's Christ. They knew. And what makes this really, 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 really sinister because of Simeon's testimony and Anna as well. Those religious leaders, they knew. They knew. They hated him for it. They wanted that power, but they knew. Jesus, well, if you don't believe me, at least believe the works. I mean, because who else do you know that can raise the dead and heal the sick and cause the lame to walk and, and the blind to see and the deaf to hear? Crickets. But they knew. Because I have a hard time believing that Simeon and Anna were the only two people given to the faith that God had delivered in that first covenant that didn't know it, or that knew it. I have a hard time believing they were the only ones. But sin hardens, doesn't it? That's why you can look... The things we can do when under the influence of sin is just unbelievably monstrous. And they knew. And therefore Jesus, when He's hanging on the cross, or when He was about to go to the cross, I should say, declaring, we have no king but Caesar. Because they were that 
power hungry. But the remnant, this, this part right here, the remnant of his brethren, they were gathered. And they're still gathering. I love that. <clears throat> Micah 5.3b, just to speak on this a little, the remnant. That the remnant of his brethren shall then return to the children of Israel. The remnant of the Jewish nation shall return to the spirit of the true genuine children of Israel. A people in covenant with God. The hearts of the children shall be turned to their fathers. Malachi 4.6 Some understand it of all believers, Gentiles as well as Jews. They shall be incorporated into the commonwealth of Israel. And as they are all brethren to one another. So he is not ashamed. As Hebrews 2.11 says. To call them brethren. Again, Matthew Henry, but wow, is that not a large story to you? Can you not see preeminence all over it? The, the magnitude of Jesus? Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, and this is his preeminence of Christ and his birth, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In some of your Bibles, it has Wonderful Counselor together. I have a comma in mine. Whatever. I took the liberty of, of uh, quoting from Sinclair Ferguson here as he talks about these, these titles. Um, but, it's, but it says, going in verse 7, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And notice how it says, Upon the throne of David... And over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore. When? When he came. When on that cross, that final blow was dealt, that stone was cut out, and of the increase, there will be no end. So here's what Sinclair says about wonderful. The child is to be a wonderful counselor. We need counseling, a lot of us. That title is often, perhaps usually understood to mean that the prophesied Christ will be a wonderful counselor to his people. While he is that, some interpreters, like John Owen, have seen a deeper significance in the words and applied them to what theologians invariously called the counsel of redemption or the pactum salutis, the covenant of peace or the covenant of redemption between the Father and the Son. The grand plan to redeem us. Thus, the answer to Paul's question in Romans eleven thirty four: Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor is not nobody but his own dearly beloved son. Did Jesus not say in John 17, I do the will of him who sent me? Father is, as he with, with read John 17, it, it alludes to that a lot. So he's, he's, Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. How about that one? He is the divine voyager who, is, who in the incarnation traverses the vast gulf between eternity and time on his mission of salvation. He is the divine warrior who is attacked as an infant by Herod, that vile instrument of Satan, but who then enters the list against his enemy in the wilderness and defeats him. He is the divine healer who conquers blindness, lameness, deafness, and dumbness. He is the divine life giver whose voice of the dead hear and live. He is the divine lover who shows love to the loveless, the unlovely, and the unlovable. 
He is the divine self-sacrificer who offers himself on the cross for our sakes. He is the divine general who leads a host of captives as he ascends in his triumph and who in the sheer generosity of his grace now shares the spoils of his victory with his people. This is Christ, the mighty hero God. I'm just going to say the word preeminent again. (laughs) Moving on. Everlasting Father, if Paul could say to the Corinthians, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, then surely the same may be said of the one who commissioned him. So in these titles, the divine Messiah is viewed not only in relation to his role in the Trinity, where he is the son and not father, but in relation to us as the suffering servant of whom Isaiah later says he shall see his offspring. We have been brought to new life through Him. He is the only begotten Son who begets us by His Spirit. We are the children who have been given to Him in Hebrews 2.13. Let us remember Philip's request to our Lord. And this is what Philip asked. Show us the Father, Lord, and it is enough for us. Then let us embrace what Jesus said. Oh, Philip, who has seen me has seen the Father. Preeminent. Are you getting it? This thing called Christmas is so much bigger than a tree and some boxes beside it. In fact, that is so tiny a speck it should not even be looked at on as much as we look on this magnificence of Christ. Prince of Peace. I like, I mean, who can't like that? Finally, in this fourfold name, the Messiah is called Prince of Peace. Here we seem to be on the familiar ground of Christmas story. As we just read, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Chanted the heavenly host in Luke 2. Echoing again the words penned by Isaiah of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. Isaiah 9, 7. Preeminence. In Zechariah 9. Verse 9, we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. This is Zechariah. Lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. Love, whenever the New Testament interprets the Old Testament. Is it one of those freebies? Okay. We get into Matthew 21. I'm just going to read it because why we should. (laughs) Verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples and said, Go into the village opposite you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to be. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, (laughs) your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And Zechariah said that. This isn't made up. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought that donkey and the colt 
laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others offered, cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before those followed, crying out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Do you know what that means? Save, Lord, save. It's also a declaration of praise. Deliver. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Just say preeminence again. Matthew 1, 21. And she will bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. That's that's the covenant of redemption there. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying. All this was done. So that it might be fulfilled. The virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God with us. Now, just stop right there for a second. God with us. You, you mean the one who spoke the world into his existence and hovered over the face of the waters? That one? You, you mean the one that banished Adam and Eve out of the garden and cursed the ground for their sake? That one? Uh, the one that told Abraham to get into a far country and that he would bless him? His, 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 as a sand of the seashore and all that, that one. And the one that appeared to Moses in a burning bush and it burnt, the bush didn't catch on fire, that one. The one who did all of the fire and stuff and the mountain shaking and everyone wanted to just lay flat and die because they were too afraid to look upon that holy site, that mountain, that one. That God? That God that split the camp in half and swallowed the, the troublemakers, that one? Yep, that one. Same God. And then it says right here, he's with us. I thank God for Jesus Christ. Because if it weren't for him, I would have been, I'm pretty certain by now, God would have Taken me away. All of us. But God who is rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us. While we were still yet in our sins. Sent his son to die for us. And who is this, this baby in a manger? He's God with us. 
second person of the Godhead. And then Jesus, if that's not enough. I mean, he says to his disciples when they were moaning about him leaving, I got to say, I'd be too. He goes, no, no, you don't understand. It's, it's better that I go. And I'll send her an, another like me. And he'll be in you. And he'll bring to your mind everything that I have said. Now who are we talking about? We're talking about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. So, yes, God with us. And yes, God in us. Do you see how preeminent it is? Do you see how big it is? Do you see how this thing that the world just likes to refer to as Christianity is a reckoning? And of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Friends, that's that's Christmas. There ain't a box big enough can be wrapped to hold all that. And all I can say, my little speck of self, is thank you. Lord, thank you for just that man. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you didn't just think of me one day when you saw me camping out in a bright orange pup tin on the side of a creek bank at 12. But that it began before the foundation of the earth and you made me a gift to the sun. Through no merit of my own, no worth of my own, no accomplishment of my own, but just according to your mercy. And I want to say thank you. God with us. And ask JT to come. Friends, that's Christmas. And I hope, I hope when you go home today and tomorrow. That you see him first. That you see all of that first. And all of the good that we have coming from that first. If you're here today and you don't know Christ. You're lost in your sins. The Bible says. You're dead in your trespasses. But I believe if you're here that God has given you a gift To hear the gospel preached. You must turn from your sin. You must repent of your sin. You must turn away from it. You must flee from it. Because it has confined you to eternal judgment. Of wrath and damnation in hellfire. But that little baby. God with us. Has given you. That way of escape. Be saved. Cry out for mercy and ask God to save your soul. Forgive you of your sin and give you a new heart. So you can finally live and breathe. Do that. And Christian, 
if you've been a little bit seduced by the world because you're not reading your Bible every day, because you're not spending time in prayer, because you're lazy. Repent. And get where you need to be. Because the Bible's already told us the days are evil. You need Him. You can't live without Him. You get your nourishment from Him. You're just a branch, but He's the vine. So that you can live to your fullest potential as a humbled servant before the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time. May the Lord do what He wants for this time of playing.